Hey, good morning, everyone. It is 11 o'clock, time for Bible study. Actually, I'm jumping in just, I jumped in maybe just a few seconds early, but listen to this song. This is today's oldies, uh, oldies show on Brad Rowley Ministries. Let's listen to this song. Uh, it, it just fits the story we're about to read in the Bible. Let me hit play. It's an oldie, but a goodie. I don't know why I had this running through. As I was reading the study, this song came to my mind. And you'll see why when we get later on in the Bible study. I could tell of the story when the thousands were See if some of you that are listening today can actually tell me who this is singing. It's an old gospel group. Hi, Dennis. Judy, good to have you both on. You can sing along. It's okay. This is a good sing-along song. Of the precious man, Father through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved to the uttermost. There's the title of the song, Saved to the Uttermost going to come out in the scriptures we're going to talk about today. Anybody know who this is singing? I sue. See if you can guess who this is singing. I hope you can hear it. If you can't hear it, let me know. Somebody take a guess out there. Guess who's singing this? It's all gospel group. Some of you should know it. No guesses anyway? It's on YouTube. I found it on YouTube. It's 1989, a live performance, 1980. That is a really good guess, Sylvia, but not quite. Vestal Goodman, that's a good gospel artist. It's a group. There's five singers. They're a family. I'm giving you all kinds of clues. I just, you can't keep your foot from tapping or singing along with the song. Good morning, Judy. Saved to the uttermost. Now talk about what that means. Hear that bass. Amen. Well, that was the Spear family from Nashville, Tennessee. Great old gospel artist family. And uh, that song just came to me when I was studying this morning. Wanted to play it. I started playing it while I was studying. And uh, you'll see why uh, as we get into talking about some of you. You know, I have a very eclectic taste in music. I love pretty much all kinds of music. I mean, you'll hear me one day listening to Byzantine chant or uh, and Southern gospel. 
I mean, how, how crazy is that? How wide a variety can you get there? But uh, and it's all good. And I uh, wanted to to share with you, uh, Beverly and Cecil, thanks for joining us. If you, mi- you missed, you guys just missed the song. I had the, a great old song by the Spears family uh, singing there. Saved to the Uttermost from 1989. Kind of an oldie show today. But there was a reason why. The, the Lord just brought that song to my heart. And I'm studying through here, getting ready for you today. And, and just I want to talk about that today as we look at the scriptures. Saved to the uttermost. That's a word we don't use very often. Good morning, uh, Pastor James. I saw on there, uh, missed learning and worshiping with you too. We have got to figure out a way to get together, even in the midst of this pandemic. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm appreciative to sit behind this camera, but man, nothing beats being together. So, uh, but, th- but this is an exciting passage. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Luke chapter 8, part 2. So grab your Bible, grab your coffee. Mine was a quick grab today. It's the uh, Diamond Brew from the Quick Shop, which is right next door to my office here. Uh, but pretty good coffee. They have a hazelnut that I can blend in with my decaf and get a little flavor going on here. But uh, grab yours, grab a pen, grab some paper, take some notes. This is, this is, really, this is really important stuff. So we've been in chapter 8. We're going to continue in chapter 8, and we're moving into Jesus, some, some miracles that he's about to do. And we're going to look at some of the, the meaning behind them. But first, prayer cards. Take your prayer card out. It's right there under photos on the Brad Riley Ministries page. You can click on it. It's the prayer before the study of Scripture. Let's pray together, and then let's jump right into the Scripture today. Pray these words with me. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Well, you know, as I heard that, uh, as I was hearing the words of that prayer there, let me get the audio going here real quick. As I heard the words of that prayer there say, uh, that it it says here to that through them we may conquer all carnal desires it just reminded me of this lesson in that song saved to the uttermost saved to the uttermost well look at the scriptures with with me will you we're going to verse start in verse 19 now remember jesus is about to talk about his family and hi cynthia thanks for joining Jesus is going to talk about his family, and there's something he's teaching us here in these words. It's not a slight towards his mother, brothers, like some people would think it is. But remember what we talked about last week. We ended on the note with this thought. Jesus said in verse 18, Take heed how you hear. How you hear. So that you will do it. Let me me just turn back and read that to you. Verse 18 said, take heed then how you hear. 
For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. We discussed how how we hear. How do we hear? We hear by actively doing. We don't just hear and let it fall dead in our lives. The woman who anointed Jesus' feet not only heard the gospel, she did something about it. She surrendered her most priceless possession in worship of Jesus. Now, this morning, look with me at verse 19. Let's just read a couple of verses, and then we're going to go on and read more. But let's start with these few verses. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him for the crowd. And he was told, quote, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's just stop right there. Uh, Jennifer, and uh, good to see you guys uh, on here. So Jesus is, picture the crowd, he's with a crowd of people. He's been, uh, we, we don't know, it, it seems to follow right after the story where the woman anointed him, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. He's just with a crowd, clearly. It's such a crowd that his mother and his brothers have come to see him for some reason. Now, this is a curious situation uh, because his brothers, we learn in John's gospel, they don't really believe in him at this point. So why are they coming to see him? Well, you know, they've Obviously, they're not in Nazareth, so they've made a trip for some reason. Jesus' popularity is growing. They're hearing a lot of things. For some reason, they've come. They've brought their... Mary, Jesus' mother, with them, um, but they can't get in. They can't get to where Jesus is. And he's so busy with all these healings and these miracles, somebody shouts out to him and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside, but they can't get in. So what is Jesus going to do? What chapter we are on, chapter Jennifer, we're on chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and we just read verses 19 through 21. And then we'll pick up. So we're talking about those three verses right now. So what's Jesus going to do? Is he just going to stop and all these people that have been waiting in line to be healed say, hey, my mother and my brother is pretty important. Let's let them come in. He doesn't do that. And, and there's a point to be made here. Jesus is actually reinforcing what he said about take heed how you hear. Okay, he's reinforcing it. He heard the message that his mother and brothers were there. But he doesn't let that take away from the truth that the most important thing in the world is happening. The gospel is being proclaimed through the healing hands of Jesus and the words of Jesus. Now, this makes a, a, a really powerful point. Everyone there was probably Jewish. Okay, Maybe a Gentile here or there. But this is in Israel. They're probably mostly Jews at this point. The family of God was only Jewish, and they knew that. They took pride in that, that they were God's chosen few. And Jesus takes this moment to, to have a teaching point about the family of God. Who is Jesus' family? Jesus is God, and who is his family? He's like, yeah, my mother and my brothers are a part of my family, but they're not my only family. In fact, he says that all who what? Did you catch it? 
He says, my mother and brothers are those who hear, take heed how you hear, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Exactly what we learned last week. Hearing is about doing. When we hear, we need to be obedient, we need to obey. What do you hear from Jesus? What are you hearing? What have you been hearing since the last time we met and talked last week? This new family of God, if you will, is you and I. It's every, we're his mother and his brothers and his, his, his sisters. We're, we are the family of God and it's open to anyone who will hear and do. Now, with that in mind, we can, we can move on. Uh, now, as we're going to look at two different stories, Jesus is going to begin to tell a few different stories. I mean, Luke is going to begin to tell a few different stories about Jesus and his authority. Luke is establishing the storyline of Christ's authority. He's going to establish his authority over nature. He's going to establish his authority over demon powers. He's going to establish his authority over uh, all illness and sickness, and he's going to establish his authority even over death. So we begin with the story, verse 22, about the calming of the storm on the sea. Let's look at that. Let's read a few verses together. So one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a storm of wind came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even wind and water? And they obey him. What a great question. What an incredible experience. Let's stop there. We're going to look at Jesus' authority over nature here for a few minutes. And then we are going to go into the story about the healing of the demoniac here as well. So let's get the setting. Okay. There are. They've been in Galilee. This has been all of his teachings around the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And they get one day, so let's just get into a boat. Let's go to the other side. Now, the other side is, from where he's been ministering, is, is pretty much Gentile territory. It's going to go to what is today called Cursa. Or, and then it was called the land of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. As different Bibles use different words there. But he's going there probably, most probably, to rest. I mean, it's just been a very hectic, busy schedule. You could see that he fell asleep in the boat. He was really tired from all the, the demands of ministry and healing and preaching and teaching and traveling. And so they need a little R&R, &R and they're going to go in the boat to the other side. Now, on the Sea of Galilee, in this case it's called a lake sometimes, it is the Lake, lake Gennesaret, as it's called uh, there, it's surrounded by the, the mountains to the west, the kind of the hills, if you will, not really mountains, but, but mountainous area. 
And the wind, it's so close in its proximity to the Mediterranean Sea. That's the, and, and the lake itself is below sea level. That there is an incredible, uh, I'm not a meteorologist at all, but there is an incredible uh, wind that can come up really fast. And it's a very unstable wind coming off of the sea and then swooping down through the hills and over the waters. And storms blow up like that. I saw that firsthand. Back in 2011, when I was in Israel for the first time and we were with a group of us on the, on the Sea of Galilee on a boat, I mean, it was a beautiful, crystal clear morning. And by the time we got about halfway, we weren't even crossing the whole distance. I mean, it's a long ways to cross the whole sea. We were just kind of cutting Caddy Corner across from, from uh, Tiberias over to Capernaum. And you could always kind of see the shoreline. We weren't out in the middle. But we were, I mean, it was a beautiful day. And out of nowhere, dark clouds. I've got some pictures of these that I'd love to show you sometime. Dark clouds just rolled in. And it started getting a little rocky. Now, our, our captain of the boat assured us that we were in good shape. I mean, this boat was built to look like the boats of Jesus' day, but not as frail as Jesus. And we had a motor, and uh, so we weren't subject to... The storm and, and our storm wasn't nearly as violent as that one must have been because they were getting swamped. But I can remember looking over the side at that water hitting the side of the boat, thinking if this boat were a little more shallow, we'd be taking on water. Um, so they're they're afraid. I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not real comfortable out on water. I can't swim. Don't know how to swim. Don't like the idea of being in water well over my head. Whenever I'm in water, if I'm in a pool anywhere, I want to be on the part where it's not over my head. Uh, I've got some crazy stories to tell about that through the years, but yeah, we don't really have time for that right now. But but let's just say I'm, I'm not wearing a life vest. We're on this boat on the Sea of Galilee. A little bit nervous, but but I know, I know. I mean, hey, we're on the Sea of Galilee. God is with us, right? Jesus calmed the storm, and I'm getting ready. My second time there in 2017, uh, we were able to, I was preaching from the passage, you know, peace be still when Jesus calmed the waters on the lake. And, and so here they are, two things that I think Jesus wants to bring to us. Luke, Luke is trying to, to get us to see Jesus' authority extends, not just to healing people, but even across nature. He is the creator. And as they go to him and they wake him up, they say, Master, we're dying here. We're going to perish. How can you sleep? Well, Jesus immediately, it says, just rebuked the, the winds and the waves, and there was calm. Jesus wasn't worried. He was asleep. He knows that he's the master of all, the Lord of all creation. But, and while they think they know that, clearly they don't know it completely, or they wouldn't have been afraid of perishing. I think there's a huge question to us today. What are you afraid of? Why do we fear? One of the most often repeated commands in Holy Scripture is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Yet we're, we're afraid all the time. We're afraid of this virus, aren't we? I mean, if you really admit it, we're afraid of this virus. I've tried really hard not to live in fear. 
I'm trying not to be stupid, okay? I don't just throw caution to the wind and expose myself where, where it is. But yet I have to live in a way that I'm not afraid. I've been asked to go visit people in hospitals that have had COVID, and, and I'll do it. I'll put a mask on. I'll do what I need to do. I won't get super close to them. But we can't live in fear. This pandemic, this virus cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ, and it cannot stop our faith. And we've got to figure out, we're eight months into this now, we don't know how long it's going to last. It's been a tumultuous year. Our year, 2020, has been like that storm on the Sea of Galilee. False hopes, hopes on the horizon. Now we hear of a, uh, a promising vaccine, and that's even going to take time, and still people are dying. But you know what? We act sometimes like this is new. There's always been viruses. There's always been people dying. And people are dying every day. And many of them are dying without the gospel. And so the church of Jesus Christ, we need to wake up and we need to retake whatever it is, the airwaves if right now and eventually our buildings. We need to come out of this pandemic stronger than we went in, more clearly defining the gospel and the healing power of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit in this next section about the divine plan of salvation and how we are saved to the uttermost as the Spear family sang when we began. Their question, the disciples look at this and they're amazed. They're marveling. Who could he be? How could they ask that? He's God. Clearly he's God. So, he says to them, where is your faith? He not only heals the storm, he heals their faith. That healing of their faith comes over time. Watch all through the stories. There's other times when they're a little weak in their faith, but they're slowly growing. They're slowly building. We don't just get saved and become instant super saints with incredible faith. But we grow. I mean, I'm late 50s, okay? And my faith is much stronger than when I was in my late 40s. Way stronger than when I was in my late 30s. And it's off the charts stronger than when I was in my late 20s or teens. And, and that's the way it should be. The longer we walk, the deeper we walk with Christ, our faith should be growing and strengthening so that we can look at natural disasters like pandemics and not lose our faith. And not be scared to death. We need, and, we, and to be able to say, praise be to Jesus no matter what happens. Like Job, even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. That sort of thing. So, so because a dying world is waiting to hear and see a faith that is that true and that real. Let's look at another great example of the Lordship of Christ and his, his ruling over nature and, and everything. And, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 39. Now, it feels like we're covering a lot of scripture today, but these really do connect. So I want to get through this story about the demoniac here. Verses 26 through 39. This is at the other side of the lake. The calm has come. They dock at the other side of the lake. Kind of a Gentile territory. And... This is what happens. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And as he stepped out on land, 
there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had lived not in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beseech you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And then parentheses, it shows us, For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and fetters. But he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter there. So he gave them leave. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how he had been possessed with demons and was healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, meaning Jesus, asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's stop there. That's verse 39. Wow, what a story. What a fascinating story. I remember when we stepped off the boat onto that land right there and you could look up and see the caves kind of the what's left of the kind of eroded rock of the caves where this man would have lived um, and Sylvia said and stronger in my 80s hallelujah amen faith stronger than ever that's the story of the saints of God our faith should get stronger and stronger and stronger as we walk closer and closer and closer with Christ now I remember just thinking about it. It actually started to rain then. We didn't spend a lot of time, but I ran up the hill to, to look into that cave area and, and just kind of think about all that had happened. And I stood kind of up on the hill area, looking down over the embankment, thinking and imagining this story and thinking about a whole herd of pigs drowned in the water. Pigs can't swim. And of course, what is it? dead animal body do when it drowns it floats can you imagine the scene of all these pigs floating on the water dead uh, it's it just a, an unbelievable scene to the people in the countryside as they rushed out to see it but let's back up for a few minutes let's take this story apart I want you to notice a few key words here key things that come 
when we're looking at verse when at the first encounter when Jesus arrives, it tells us that the man, the demon-possessed man, runs up to Jesus and falls down at his feet. Okay, this is an act of worship, of submission, when you fall down at the feet of another. And it says, he says with a loud voice, and I'm sure his voice is disturbed, distraught, distorted, because he's demon-possessed. But, but, but listen to what Luke says. He says, it says that he, the man, cried out to Jesus and says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beseech you, do not torment me. There are scholars that, I've read lots of commentaries and scholars that look at this a little bit differently, but here's what I think I see and in, in what I hear from some of them and, and what stands out to me. This is the man who's hurting, who's possessed, who is, there's still that shell of him in there. He's crying out to Jesus. Don't torment me. He's heard about healings. He's no doubt people have tried. All kinds of things have happened. But he doesn't want to be tormented by just another attempt. What are you going to do with me, Jesus? And, and we learn, because it says right there, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him, which is kind of a past tense thing. So there's an interaction happening here between Jesus and the man where Jesus is commanding these spirits to come out. And they may not have come out just immediately because they're putting up this struggle, okay? And, and, and there's this struggle between how much of it is the man talking and how much of it is the demons talking. So we, we've got a very delicate situation here. And I think Luke is showing us the delicacy of it for a, for a reason. Because Jesus then says, what is your name? Now, it's not because Jesus doesn't know. He knows. Jesus knows everything. He's God. So why do you think he asked the man? Why do you think he asked the man's name? Coffee break time. Go ahead and grab a cup of coffee. Drink of your coffee. Why do you think he asked the name? Feel free to type up an answer on the screen if you have one, or a thought. Try. There's no. Remember, there's always no wrong answers and no dumb questions. We're all just trying to learn together. I think it's to show this man and those who are watching the plan of salvation. The man doesn't answer with his name. The demons answer. And they say their name is Legion. Legion. What is a legion? Well, a Roman legion, a, a legion of soldiers. Does anybody know how many soldiers were in a Roman legion? Without Googling it real quick. 6,000. 6,000 demons. Now, I don't know that Luke is trying to say to us there were literally 6,000 demons in this man. That's overkill, okay? But it is making a point, and that is that this man represents the lost world. They're in Gentile territory. This man is possessed with all the lostness that a human being can exist through. Multiple demons have clearly possessed him. And by answering legion, they are saying, we are many. And there's much lostness in this world. And we have 
great power to go into people and to ruin their lives and to take them down. Let's talk, let's talk about that for a minute. Why is this man possessed? I think Luke's also telling the story importantly because there is there's swine nearby and you know that Jews do not eat pork. It was an unclean animal. But we're in kind of a Gentile territory. I mean, it's just kind of an area where there's a lot of Gentiles. And so it tells you that he's in a kind of an unclean area with lots of swine around. And in this process, pull my notes out here because I don't want to miss something here for you. He, Jesus, Jesus asks his name and that name means Everyone is lost. The legions of this world are lost without hope. This man had no hope. He tried everything. Everything been tried on him. He was given up. He had to live outside in a cave. He, they couldn't even keep him bound in chains. I mean, the point here is this is, the, this is the force of all evil against the maker and Lord of creation. And in that encounter... Jesus has all authority. And Jesus, in that, they beg him. These demons beg Jesus not to let them depart. Do not command us to depart into the abyss. What are they saying? What are these demons saying? What is the abyss? The abyss is hell. Okay? The abyss is hell. Remember the book of Revelation teaches us that hell was created. The the abyss, if you will, was created for the devil and his demons, his angels, his angels of darkness. They've heard the story. They know there's a God. They're, they're, they're evil, obviously. They're demonic. They once upon a time followed Satan in his rebellion, and they beg now in the face of the Creator not to be sent into that hell, to that abyss. Just send us into those pigs. In those pigs, they have no power because pigs have no human will. They could, they, they, they have, there's nothing for them to control is what I'm trying to say here. There, there's no freedom of the will in a pig, um, in, 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 that, in an animal. That's what separates man from animal. We have the power to reason and a free will to reason, to think, to do good or to do evil, to love or to hate. And, and so... Faced with oblivion, they choose the pig, which is not a good option for a demon because you don't have anything you can really do in a pig. And so what do the pigs do? Disoriented by demonic possession, they run down a hill and drown themselves. Um, so it's, it's got to be a frenzied, wild sight. But Luke's not wanting us to just center on this wildness. He wants us to center on the meaning. And, and it says in verse 33, the demons came out of the man. When Jesus, it says, so he gave them leave. Notice that the demons couldn't run and hide. They couldn't just, oh, that's Jesus. We better get out of here. They didn't leave the man. They didn't leave. Jesus was always in control. There was no way they could do anything but what Jesus told them to do. So it says, very importantly, in the end of verse 32, so he gave them leave. 
they were, in other words, cast out. He had to give them the authority and the word to leave that man and go into those pigs. Not just go wherever they wanted. So, this story travels fast. We don't know exactly how it got back. Somebody maybe in the crowd ran and told everybody. But it says when the herdsmen uh, saw, so there's people in the crowd, there's obviously some herdsmen that are tending to the pigs. When the herdsmen saw this, they fled. They went back into the city, into the country, and they tell everybody what they've seen. And so everybody comes back out because they're curious at what they've seen. This is a terrific story. And what do they find? They find the man who nobody could help sitting clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. And notice how it says, at the feet of Jesus. That's obedience. That's submission. That's worship. You're right, Judy. Jesus is still in control. No matter what happens, he is always in control. Now, we're going to going to bring this to a close and I'm going to bring you full circle back to my song from the Spears today. Saved to the uttermost. It is, it is unbelievable to me that these people could see this obvious miracle. This obvious power of the Lord of creation. And, and be in fear of him rather than in awe of him. And ask him to even leave. They ask Jesus to leave their countryside. It's just unthinkable that in the face of God, in the face of love, in the face of divine love and power, they don't want any part of it. What is it tell? What is this telling us? That there is a lostness and a darkness in our world that wants nothing to do with Christ or his church or his people or his family, as we started out talking about Jesus saying, who is my family? Those of us who believe because we hear and do, we are his family. And the lost dark world wants nothing to do with us, except, except to torment us, to torture us, possess those who are capable of being possessed. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Demon possession is a real thing. It is not something that you, my friends here listening to this Bible study, if you're a believer in Christ and you're listening to this, it is not something you need to fear. Why do I say that? Because John teaches us darkness and light cannot coexist in the same space. The demons cannot possess where Christ possesses. Jennifer says, and that's what's going on even today. Yes, it is. So we do not need to fear demon possession. Demons can oppress us. As believers in Christ, we can be oppressed by the things. That's an outside force trying to torment us or torture us or drag us down. But we don't have to. So what can we, what does it tell us about this man that was demon-possessed? And Matthew tells the story there's two men that are in this setting. And, and obviously the clear reason is to show us that these, these people were lost. They weren't even trying to be good. How 
far down, how far down the road do you have to go away from God to where you are so wide open that multiples of demons come into you? Pretty far down. But here's the good news. Even if you are that far down, Jesus can save. There's no one that is beyond his power to save. No one. No less the most heinous, horrible person in this world alive today is capable of receiving the power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. But one thing has to happen. They have to submit to his will. They have to submit. Okay? When we hear the gospel, and we do something about it, which means repent, submit, receive, all active words. Christ comes in and he fills and he saves to the uttermost. Hebrews chapter 7. Hear this with me. Hebrews chapter 7. In the book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews, talking about the old way versus the new way of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is comparing the old priesthood with the new eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ. And he says this. Verse, chapter 7, verse 25. That is why he is also able to save absolutely. Some versions say completely. Some versions say to the uttermost. Those who approach God through him, he is always living to plead on their behalf. But it's a lot packed into that one sentence. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation. He can calm the winds and the waves. He can expel any number of demons. If we approach God through him, Hebrews is teaching we must come to God through Christ, then he is able to save to the uttermost. Save absolutely. Save completely. Wow. That's the story of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power this dark world needs to hear. And I'm telling you, we who are the preachers, we who are the teachers, we need to start preaching it. We must stop playing footsie with the gospel. I've had it up to here with touchy, feel-good sermons. I really have. I, I, go to a small group Bible study if you need to hear something. I don't know. Do, do something. But when the gospel is being proclaimed, it needs to be proclaimed with power. And people need to be told the power of Jesus Christ is saved to the uttermost and they need to be invited into that relationship and they need to understand that it doesn't matter what their demon is. Alcohol, drugs, sex, work, slavery to any addiction or literal physical demons. Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost and he's calling them into that relationship. And you know what? He's calling through us. We're his voice. We're his hands. We're his... <laughs> We have to do it, ladies and gentlemen. This world is lost. Our nation is lost. 
And I'm not talking about Democrats versus Republicans. Those are just viewpoints. We are lost. And there's never a better time for the gospel to be proclaimed than right now. Well, it's 11.44. We're 44 minutes into this Bible study. Uh, thank you for joining me. I, I, I couldn't wait to teach this. This is a warning. This Bible study today is a warning to sinners. And you know what? You and I better put ourselves better put ourselves in that category. I'm preaching right now a series on prayer at the at the Udall Church. I told the people last week this is the most important sermon series I'll probably ever preach. And I can't go into all of that. You can go back and listen to it uh, on the Facebook page, Udall United Methodist Church Facebook page. And I told why it's the most important in that first sermon, and that is because the if anything is going to happen in our world for the gospel, it's going to start with the power of prayer. It's going to start when God's people get serious about prayer and understand what it is. Most of us, I'll just give you a glimpse into what I talked about last week. Most of us misunderstand completely what prayer is about. Prayer is not about our taking our needs to God, although we're welcome to do that. He already knows what we need. Prayer is about coming into communion with our God so that he inhabits our praise and our prayers and we learn to think God's thoughts after him and we pray his will be done, not our will. It's not about getting God to do things for us. It's not about getting God to do things his way. It's about our learning to do things his way. And the only way we learn is in prayer. You can do all the learning you want in books, but ultimately, until we enter into this prayerful, relational communion with Almighty God, wow. And when, you, when that happens, the world will be changed. When God's people get on their knees and start to realize what prayer really is, it will change our world. And every generation has to do that. You can't live on the past revivals. We can look back at them and say, wow, but in every one of those movings, great movings of God, great revivals, great awakenings, whatever you want to call it, every one of them began with prayer because God's people began to submit, to take heed how they hear, and to do something about it. This week I'll be preaching about a type of prayer, a kind of prayer, a way of prayer that delivers that delivers us from sin to the uttermost. You and I are sinners. In my, I said we need to recognize ourselves as sinners. We need to repent. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Remember James tells us, the book of James, Jesus' brother, one of the guys that was trying to get in outside there, Jesus tells us. I mean, James tells us, to him who knows to do what is right but does not do it, to him that is sin. That's the best definition of a sin of omission that I can think of. Sometimes we, we Christians, and especially us Wesleyans, we get so bound up thinking about sins of commission and not willfully doing what we know is, is, is wrong. What about the things we, we just don't do by omission? You know, we, we need to repent. We need to get right. We need to get on our knees and we need to start praying. 
for the deliverance from evil. Deliver us, Lord, from evil. The Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. The original Lord's Prayer ended right there. As we know it, the way it was recorded by the gospel writers, it ended, deliver us from evil. Some of y'all thought that's just the way the Catholics did it because they didn't want to do it any other way. No, no, that's the original manuscripts, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory was added. That's in later manuscripts. And you can see why it's added because it works as in the early liturgical response style of worship. It's a beautiful response. It's a doxology of it all. The prayer itself is deliver us from evil. There's, a, there's an old liturgical response that I just love. And I actually heard it and first in the Catholic Church and actually in, found it in many ancient uh, liturgies. And it's when the people are praying the Lord's Prayer and they get to that part and then they say, and deliver us from evil. And then the people stop and the, the celebrant or the pastor, the priest continues by saying, deliver us, Lord, from every evil. Grant us peace in our day. And in your mercy, keep us free from sin and protect us from all anxiety. As we wait for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Then everybody chimes in and says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Man, that is a powerful, those are powerful words. And they're so Wesleyan. They're so holiness. Deliver us, Lord, from every evil, from all sin. That's a Wesleyan thought right there. Well, thanks for joining me today. As we pray, would you do this for me? Would you just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Would you ask him to come as you close this Bible study? Ask him to convict you if your prayer life is not where it needs to be. Ask him to show you what the true power of prayer is, what the true meaning of prayer is. And would you stop worrying about your words and just commune with him in prayer? And let's confess and let's ask and let's receive and let's take heed how we hear, okay? Thank you for joining me today. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for this group who is listening today live. I pray for everyone who will ever listen to this video, to this message, to this study. May it be completely about your word and your will and not about my words and my thoughts. May you inhabit the teaching. May you cover anything that is wrong. And may you lift up and magnify everything that is right. And would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And we say this and we pray this and we believe this and we do this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to keep looking at Jesus and his dominion over all creation, including us. God bless you. Thanks.
Bye-bye.